Hi everyone, Derek Vita here, with a quick note before we start. For the month of September, UX Soup is contributing to a charity fundraising drive, and we hope you will join us. The Royal National Institute of Blind People, or RNIB, does fantastic work toward fostering equality and independence for blind and partially sighted people across the United Kingdom. To support this important organization, this month Lisa and I are running in Marathon Mates, a virtual team marathon event as Team UX Pain Points. Lisa and I, as Team UX Pain Points, will split the distance of a marathon, 26.2 miles, between ourselves in September, with a goal of raising 150 pounds, or about $200, for the Royal National Institute of Blind People. If you would like to join Team UX Pain Points in our mission, please consider donating this month to the RNIB. You can donate and track our running progress by visiting our charity fundraising website www.justgiving, all one word, dot com, forward slash team, forward slash UX pain points, all one word. We'll also provide a link from our show page, ux-soup.com. Thanks for listening. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and while mobile. I'm Derek Vita, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Lisa Cooper. Hello. And Chris Schreiner. Hello. Hello, everybody. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights analysis, and expertise. Today, we're going to talk about haptics. Woo-hoo. What is haptics? Who's doing it? Killer use cases. And most importantly, why? Why haptics? Where do we see it going? So I'll start today by talking about what is haptics? We've all experienced haptics in some form or another. If you own a smartphone, you just a vibration of it is some kind of feedback that you feel. Uh, that lets you know that something is happening on smartphones. You have it with the the home button on all recent phones. Uh, when you're typing and you get feedback on the keyboard, that's all haptics. But of course, the most important question then is, why haptics? Why haptics? So I'll I'll take this on board. So. Haptics has a lot of potential. It can add uh, a great deal to the quality of any interactive experience by providing all this extra feedback for users' actions and really enhance the experience. You can convey useful information, whether something's right or wrong. You can confirm various actions and you can grab users' attention. You can also enhance communication between the real world and virtual worlds. Um, where you can interact with objects and people and avatars. It can really bring about great immersion and realism in virtual environments and can enhance social and spatial presence. But we really need to be careful with its application and needs to be appropriately timed. It can be done so badly, um, as we probably experienced. Uh, It has to be well-timed, has to be of value and complement and not distract from other forms of feedback as well as consistent and not drain battery life, things like that. So there's a lot of uh, areas, uh, uh, pitfalls and challenges to it. It can be done very well, or it can be done very badly. Indeed. 
none more, uh, and some of those issues that you bring up, Lisa, are no more clear than in automotive. So when we see haptics or vibration in cars, it's typically used for one of two things. Uh, one is for safety alerts in the steering wheel or in the seat pan. The other is for touch-sensitive infotainment controls on the console, like embedded within the touchscreen or or uh, uh, next to a, or embedded within like a touch-sensitive volume control, things like that. The main challenge with haptic, and with touch in general, if we th think back to early human factors research, is that it's a low, quote-unquote, amplitude modality. So you think about our senses. Sight is very rich. Uh, it conveys a lot of information just inherently. Sound is also a fairly rich modality. Touch itself doesn't convey a whole lot of information. It's either, it's very binary. It's either there or it's not. So for safety-related warnings, it's great to indicate that, hey, there's something there. It brings a driver to attention, much like what Lisa was mentioning. It's a great way to sort of push someone towards situational awareness. You need to augment that with some sort of visual or audible alert to bring more information in, but just the vibration will indicate that something requires action. Much in the same way that doctors and surgeons will use beepers in hospitals to indicate like, hey, there's something wrong that requires my attention, not necessarily, you know, what it is and a whole lot of information beyond that, but at least brings them to attention. For infotainment, uses are less clear. So buzzers on the touchscreen can be used to indicate that something has been pressed but not necessarily what has been pressed. Uh, so especially if stimuli are all located in the same location, users are still going to need to look at it. Uh, if you introduce shape, so gesture controls, for example, that allow a driver to grasp something midair uh, that can be identified, that could potentially add value. But again, it needs to be pretty obvious what the difference between this, these virtual objects are. So. Think about back in the day when we had knobs on our car consoles and, and dedicated buttons. After a period of ownership, you generally knew where each of those buttons were and what each of them controlled. So you could control temperatures up here, radios down here with minimal glances. That's sort of what you need to go for with haptics and vibration. You need to differentiate enough by shape or location or whatever that you can actually use it for multiple tasks. Otherwise, all you're doing is saying, hey, I've, I've touched a button. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's typically the type of thing that we see on smartphones. And like I said, this is where most people are familiar with haptics. The home button on your phone is, is all haptics. And for some that works very well. I've talked to people that have an iPhone that didn't realize that their home button wasn't actually a button anymore. So they've done that at least pretty well, but we're seeing uh, haptics move even further in the smartphone space as they've tried to move toward more as everyone moves toward a more clean design, uh, trying to get rid of buttons. Everyone's trying to get rid of buttons on every device. And haptics is of course key for this, uh, in smartphones, it has the added benefit of if you remove buttons, that's more, uh, that's fewer creases that dust or water can get in. It makes the device more durable. And we've been looking at some of the latest developments in uh, smartphone haptics. Our colleague, Diane O'Neill, uh, recently published a report on where haptics is going uh, and pointed out some of the concept smartphones that we've seen. For instance, uh, Meizu Zero, uh, they uh, debuted a, a concept smartphone last year that had no buttons at all and everything was going to be provided by haptics. So if you were looking for the volume control on the side of the phone, it would be 
haptic feedback that you were getting. And another example, uh, Hap2U is haptics company, and they came out with a very interesting concept phone uh, where the screen has haptics built in. So on your display, you could have your finger go up and down the display and start to feel things like the demo that they had had to do with fish scales. So you, yeah, I know, it's, it sounds a little <laughs> odd. I don't know why they chose fish scales. You would see an image of, of fish scales and rub your finger up the display and it would, I don't know why you would want to feel that. It doesn't sound like the greatest well, <clears throat> feeling, uh, but just to demonstrate that you can have that kind of added element. And, and they showed it off with different uh, controls too, like sliders and buttons that you could have uh, that would give you that haptic feedback that you're doing something. And going another step further, we now have uh, mid-air haptics, where you have touchless haptic sensations using ultrasound. They have done this also for blind users, something called HaptiRead allows blind users to read Braille without touching a surface, which in this post-COVID world, I think, is something that, that we really need. Definitely a better use case than fish scales. Yes. <laughs> Certainly. And that's research going on in Germany right now. So, But as far as uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, which I, you know, obviously is a very easy in for haptics, especially in gaming, uh, where it enhances realism, uh, you can use these vests and gloves to feel explosions and bullets and things like that and be able to touch virtual objects. There's also other great use cases that this can be applied to, uh, for example, in tourism. Uh, you, you can use augmented reality for tourism. You could touch and feel virtual objects. It's such a great use case. Uh, as well as, you know, with digital twin cities, you can have virtual reality tourism. Uh, you could uh, potentially shop uh, for virtual objects using haptics and feel and touch objects that you can then buy and then have delivered to your home. Um, so where do we see haptics going and how do we get there? I mean, obviously we're seeing design trends for driving much more toward a clean and minimalist design, trying to get rid of all buttons. Uh, but we need to be able to, of course, as, as we've said throughout this, not just be able to know that something is pressed, but know where buttons are. We don't want to be trying to find we need to be able to find if we're putting our thumb on the side of our smartphone where that volume button is and not just did we just press something we need to know what it is that we're pressing and that kind of haptic feedback has has to provide that and certainly with the uh, advent of smart surfaces smart fabrics that is going to require haptics and again, it, we, it has to be a bit better than what we're seeing right now. Even some of the demos, they're, they're almost there. They're pretty good, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. We run into many of the same issues that we discussed a bit on a previous episode about augmented reality, where we see a lot of companies just throw the technology into every vertical and kind of see what happens. Haptics, if you think about the use cases that Lisa walk through, there are many of those that require some sort of other modality like uh, augmented reality or virtual reality, so vision, hearing, whatever, to convey that sort of additional information. So haptics augments that experience, but doesn't necessarily deliver that experience on its own. What do we think about uh, mid-air haptics? 
where we're using ultrasound, where everything is touchless. Do we think that's the way we're going now? We see Ultraleap doing various things in that space. Well, I can certainly see specific use cases for it. I think both will move forward and ultrasound will find its niche as to what use cases that can develop. I think the more touch-based haptics that you would see on smartphones that you would put in, in smart surfaces and that, I think they're certainly going to keep proliferating. In talking with uh, people like Ultraleap, uh, public kiosks, again, in this kind of COVID era, uh, something that they were, they were talking about. Anything in public, the public space, I would see the mid-air haptics being really useful. Yeah, and it has a lot of potential, but again, it's... There's a lot of challenges to overcome with it. There are challenges in terms of it's both hand tracking, because you have to know where the hand is in space mm-hmm. if, if you don't have a glove on or some kind of wearable on, and speakers positioned in the right way, and enough speakers that can provide that ultrasound in a way that actually is compelling. So I, right now I see ultrasound as being much more of a basic control type of experience. Just the cost element in providing enough speakers <laughs> to do more of the subtle haptics that might be needed for future use cases, um, I, I think it may struggle with that. But I wanted to get back to your use case about uh, shopping and being able to feel for something um, oh, yeah. that isn't there. I mean, that's that's a very... It sounds like a very interesting use case. And as we have more people adopting 5G phones uh, and broader 5G networks, that would reduce the latency that would provide some of that so that you could go to a website and actually have some idea of the feel of what you're buying. That sounds great. The haptic technology isn't quite there yet where you would be able to really replicate that in a way that if I was selling a silk shirt or something like that, that I that I could be convinced that the customer would be able to get the same feel I as what you would feel naturally. I would pay to see you in a silk shirt. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, the, the technology just isn't there yet to be able to provide that kind of feel. Uh, Apple just came out with uh, a patent recently that would provide not just a haptic feedback, but be able to alter the temperature. So if you're thinking about touching something like uh, an animal fur or something that has some kind of heat element in it. This patent like, is for being able to alter the temperature that the finger would be feeling that might help make that haptic feedback more realistic. Again, I'm not convinced that I could get to some of the more subtler types of haptics that we would need for, for some of those use cases. So we have a long way to go. As always shoe shopping uh my my feet are basically modern sculpture art so (laughs) if and there's there's just no way for me to buy shoes online unless they're just they later model of something that i've worn and run in previously so if there's any way to help with that experience without having me to go into the shoe store and try on a bunch of shoes and do that entirely virtually using haptics, please. I think there's some patents to be had in that. Absolutely. Just imagine, I mean, there's a lot of people 
with limited mobility that would really benefit from something like this. It would definitely help in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, let's uh, move on now to our regular segment called Condensed Soup. Soup. Condensed Soup. Uh, where we do a little uh, rapid-fire roundtable on a, a particular uh, best-slash-worst topic. This uh, episode, we're going to talk about the best and worst use of haptics or vibration that we've seen. So uh, let's toss it to Chris. I'll start uh, first example. So my all-time favorite experience with haptics is actually in the car and having in-seat haptics for some kind of warning. Like if I'm going out of the lane... On the left, my the seat on the left side vibrates to let me know that. It's kind of like a rumble strip. And I've always found that kind of haptic feedback to be, one, very helpful. It certainly gets my attention if I'm, for some reason, not paying attention. But it's also much more of a, a private way of communication, much more than a beep or a warning that alerts everybody in the car that I'm a horrible driver. It's something <laughs> that's a little more private, telling me that I'm a horrible driver. Nobody else has to know. That's right. That's right. Shout out to uh, Dr. Greg Fitch, uh, former colleague of mine at Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, who worked on an early version of uh, the uh, safety seat alert. That's great stuff. Oh, nice. Um, I would like to throw in a bad example, if possible. This week, I used to have a Fitbit. And this was many years ago. It was one of the early versions uh, that I used to track my runs and step counts. Uh, I, I unboxed it. I created an account put it on, worn around, and sometime that afternoon, it just started buzzing, just would not stop buzzing. I'm like, what's going on? It was very startling. It took a lot of post-research to determine that my step count had been set at something fairly low for me, and it was letting <laughs> me know that I had hit my step count. I didn't really need the urgent alert for that, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, I have not owned a Fitbit since. Hmm. Mine's similar. Mine's a smartwatch. So it's good and bad. I like that. What I like about the haptics is when I type in my pin, there's a little shake. So I get the feedback that I press the button. And whenever I select things, you know, because some of these things are very small, and it gets my attention when. It figures out I'm doing some exercise or do you want to make this a workout? Things like that. But it's also very annoying. Uh, this is my second go around with this smartwatch because the first round with it was just this constant vibration. Uh, you've got an email, you've got a Facebook notification, you know, and you have to take the time to readjust all the preferences and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's annoying. And I know other people too have done. They've got rid of it because of these constant interruptions. Can you adjust the settings on the smartwatch itself, or do you have to log into a, a separate screen to do that? I believe it was on the. It's a lot easier to do on the phone. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> tiny, it's so tiny. Um, I believe there's a, there's a setup portion to it, and I believe there's on the phone too. I don't really recall. But now it's not as bad, and I don't only wear it when I'm exercising. So that's probably why I'm enjoying it more. But using it less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's all for now. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to my co-hosts, Lisa and Chris. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. 
check out our latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. You can also follow each of us on LinkedIn and Twitter through visiting our show page at ux-soup.captivate.fm. Please remember to subscribe to UX Soup on your favorite platform where you can also rate and review our show. Thanks again. Bye for now.